production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the campus of Case Western Reserve University and to this absolutely wonderful space we are in, Silver Hall, here at the Milton and Tamar Maltz Performing Arts Center. I'm Eric Kaler, and it's my great honor and pleasure to be the president of Case Western Reserve University and to thank you all for being here this evening. We are honored to be the venue for the City Club's presentation of Mayor Justin Bibb's 2022 State of the City Address, his first State of the City Address. Now, as the mayor well knows, a person can learn and accomplish quite a lot in four years. In the fall of 2014, our mayor enrolled as a student at the Case Western Reserve School of Law, and in case that wasn't enough, also in the Weatherhead School of Management. And four years later, in 2018, he graduated from both schools with joint JD and MBA degrees. And in the four short years since then, well, I think we all know how that worked out for him. He shared with me that the degrees he earned from Case Western Reserve strengthened his belief that he could one day lead this great city. And then, last November, the people of Cleveland headed to the polls and their vote was clear because they believed in his leadership too. And today, the mayor comes before us at a critical juncture. He is the first new mayor the great city of Cleveland has had in 16 years, the better part of two decades. We embrace his vision, his priorities, and his commitment to making Cleveland better for its residents today and tomorrow. And tonight, we look very forward to hearing about his accomplishments during the first 100 days in office and to learning how he believes the city can become the best version of itself in the next four years. At this time, I'm very pleased to welcome Kristen Barrett Adams to the podium. Kristen is the president of the City Club Board of Directors and Chief of Staff for the PNC Office of the Regional Presidents. Kristen, please. Good evening. It's an honor to welcome you to the 2022 State of the City Address. I'm Kristen Baird Adams, President of the City Club Board of Directors. Today is April 13th and the 100th day of the administration of the Honorable Justin M. Bibb, the 58th Mayor of the City of Cleveland. <laughs> Mayor Bibb, 
who first dreamed of becoming mayor as a teenager, took office on January 3rd after winning 63% of the vote in November. As Cleveland's first millennial mayor, his victory was seen by many as a promising sign of transformational change in a city facing unprecedented challenges stemming from poverty and economic and racial disparities further complicated by impacts of the global pandemic. Inspired by his mother, who has repeatedly said to her son, to whom much is given, much is required, Mayor Bibb's journey to elected office began on Cleveland's southeast side, where he spent many hours at the East 131st branch of the Cleveland Public Library, heeding the advice of head librarian Miss Cunningham on how to stay out of trouble. Read them books, mind your elders, and keep showing up at the library. That he did. And today, Mayor Bibb credits the Miss Cunninghams of Cleveland's neighborhoods for, in his words, making his story possible. So it is certainly fitting that in his first state of the city, we are not in a traditional downtown location yet out in the community with, with an estimated thousand joining us tonight and in the historic Silver Hall at the Milton and Tamar Maltz Performing Arts Center at the Temple Tifereth Israel on the campus of Case Western Reserve University where Mayor Bibb of course earned his MBA and his law degree. We're of course also joined by our live stream audience this evening. Many thanks to our host, President Eric Kaler in Case Western Reserve University, and my colleagues at PNC Bank for PNC's presenting sponsorship and all those whose support made tonight possible. Mayor Bibb began his career in public service working for then U.S. Senator Barack Obama and Cuyahoga County, later holding several private sector and nonprofit leadership roles at Gallup, Key Bank, and Urban Nova, a startup focused on improving cities. With a vision to become a national model for city management, police reform, and neighborhood revitalization, Mayor Bibb took the reins of City Hall from Cleveland's longest serving mayor at a time of extraordinary challenge and opportunity, including critical decisions on how best to leverage pandemic relief resources to address longstanding challenges in infrastructure, economic development, education, and public health. There has been a flurry of activity in these first 100 days of the Bibb administration, from cabinet appointments to a recent motion filed to expunge the criminal records of more than 4,000 marijuana convictions. On, on, behalf, on behalf of the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence, that help democracy thrive, we are thrilled to be a part of this conversation during which Mayor Bibb will provide an update on his first 100 days and his vision for the future of Cleveland. Neighbors, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, it is my pleasure to introduce the Mayor of Cleveland, the Honorable Justin M. Bibb.
Thank you so much. You know, uh, President Kaler, I still get nightmares seeing law school with all those exams we had to take, so. But it certainly is an honor and a joy to be here on my alma mater's campus this evening. We are excited to be partnering once again with the City Club of Cleveland, and we thank them for presenting this event in partnership with IdeaStream. And thank you also to the event sponsors and partners. To all the elected officials, members of council, chiefs, directors, community and faith leaders, and residents of our great city. Thank you all so much for being here. And thanks to everyone tuning in across the city, watching and listening this evening. Tonight, I stand before you on our 100th day in office, the first major milestone in the marathon for change. I look forward to sharing our progress, our plans, and taking your questions. As you know, we laid out an ambitious and urgent agenda for our first 100 days. We said that Cleveland can't wait, and we meant it. Cleveland, the wait for change is over. I was elected after the longest serving mayor in Cleveland's history on a mandate for change, to modernize City Hall, to get back to the basics, to make Cleveland a national model for police reform and to invest in our neighborhoods. It's our vision for what Cleveland can become, a safer, healthier city with good jobs and great neighborhoods and opportunities for all Clevelanders that got us here today. And that's exactly what we were working on every single day. And as you know, we didn't wait to get the keys before we got to work. In the two months before the election and the inauguration, we assembled a transition team of over 80 leaders in the government, business, nonprofit, and civic sectors who came together to examine our city's most urgent problems, identify solutions, and make specific, actionable recommendations. And thanks to the hard work of that team, and with input from hundreds of residents who participated in listening sessions, who took surveys, attended roundtable conversations, conducted interviews, we entered City Hall with a very clear set of priorities to advance healthy communities and environments, to improve education and youth opportunities, to place equity in action, to promote talent and culture, to lead inclusive economic development and growth in our neighborhoods, and to finally, finally modernize City Hall for the 21st century. Now, while the official transition is over, the first year of my administration will be a continuation of that listening and learning. Listening to our frontline employees about what's working and what's not. But most importantly, and listen clearly, most importantly, listening to our residents, the people closest to the problems and the solutions. 
Now, um, as you know from your own experience, the first three months of any job is a test. That's right. It's a test of your character. It's a test of your commitment and a test of your ability to handle new challenges. But let me tell you this, 100 days in, I remain 100% committed to leading with transparency and urgency, even when my decisions are unpopular or exposing. And I am committed to delivering on the changes you call for, and I will remain forever curious, never accepting things as they are, but always, always striving for how they ought to be. <clears throat> Keeping our commitments to accountability and transparency, we launch a 100-day tracker for our residents to follow our progress on these initiatives, and I'm proud to say we've recorded some early wins. From day one, we advocated and helped deliver on the promise of raising over $100 million of public and private funds to eradicate lead across our city. We got to work on collaborative planning for Cleveland's lakefront and riverfront, studying various ways we might extend our fragmented downtown malls to the lake, continued partnership and progress on the revitalization of Irishtown Bend, and finally, finally exploring the future of Burke Lakefront Airport as well, too. And as a son of a police officer, this is important to me. We move quickly to deliver police and criminal justice reform by expanding the use of the Diversion Center, by fully funding the new Community Police Commission, And we reached an agreement with the U.S. Department of Justice to amend the consent decree to approve issue 24, which he did overnight in 24 hours. We also celebrated a safe and successful All-Star Weekend, and I had a chance to relive my hoop dreams just for a little bit. And uh, we also celebrated our Irish cousins for the first time in nearly two years for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And we made some quick progress on the West Side Market. We advanced smart and sustainable changes for the West Side Market with legislation that caps rental rate increases and expands lease options to support vendors and drive sustained growth for Cleveland's most important gym on the West Side. And just last week, we announced the expungement of over 4,000 records for marijuana misdemeanors dating back to 2017, unlocking barriers to employment and giving thousands of Clevelanders the second chance that they deserve. And we're just getting started, just getting started. Now, none of this would be possible without the appointment of key leaders in our administration. We move quickly to hire talented, diverse, and experienced leaders to support our top priorities, 
including the first woman in Asian American city planner in our city's history, the first chief of integrated development, and a brand new chief of innovation and technology. And together, together, my cabinet and their staff have achieved more in the last 100 days than anyone could have ever imagined. In the first 100 days of my administration, we have shown you, we have shown you that you can accelerate the pace of change in government with a clear set of priorities, the right people, and the political will to see it through and get it done. We've raised the bar and we've reset expectations. And I'm proud to say that today, Cleveland is a land on the rise. Now, achieving our potential as a city is possible, but the task is not without its own unique set of challenges and tests. Things that I'm experiencing firsthand as your mayor. The evening of December 31st, New Year's Eve, is a night that I'll never forget. In my last 48 hours as mayor-elect, I got a call from our safety director, Kerry Howard, who told me that 25-year-old officer Shane Bartek, who proudly served our 5th district, was murdered in a carjacking on the city's west side. In that moment, everything else fell away for me. In that moment, I had one job, show up with empathy for a family in shock, stand together with officers who had just lost a brother and speak up for our community, weary and angry over yet another incident of senseless and tragic gun violence. I think about Officer Bartek and his family every single day. And while they weren't able to join us this evening, let's honor the Bartek family with a round of applause. At his memorial service, Officer Bartek's twin sister, Summer, said something that I will never forget. She said that Shane wanted to be remembered as someone who cared. And in his 25 years, he reached that goal times a thousand, times a thousand. And that's exactly how I remember Shane. His public service, selflessness, courage became a beacon for me in my transition to candidate to mayor. Post-inauguration, we had another big test two weeks in where we saw the biggest snowfall we've had in a decade. <laughs> 15 inches of snow fell overnight. Now, I'll tell you this. We deployed every truck, every snowplow and driver that was available. But I quickly learned that it didn't cut it. As my grandma would say, it ain't enough. We learned that the hard way that our policies were outdated, that our people didn't have enough equipment, and our processes were incomplete. But the truth is, we fell short, and I fell short as your mayor. 
I heard your frustrations and we made short-term adjustments to the snow removal plan. And over the next year, my office will continue to work closely with the Department of Public Works to ensure we are better prepared to respond the next time. But here is a lesson that I've learned from these early tests. I've learned that leadership happens when policies on paper start to look different from what is needed in practice. When we don't have all the answers, we must listen and learn. Only then, only then can we innovate and adapt. And yes, we took some wrong turns and we have made and learned from our mistakes, but I did not promise to you that I would be a perfect mayor, but I did make this promise. I promised you that I would give you my best every single day. Thank you. And for me, this is what the last 100 days have really been about. In Cleveland, this is just the beginning. Collaboration, communication, and trust are keys to building the open and responsive and transparent City Hall that we promised you, and we are making strides. Together, I know we will continue to learn, adapt, and improve. And with every step in our journey, the state of our city becomes stronger. We are stronger in terms of public health as we continue to educate and advocate for COVID-19 vaccines and boosters. One of our first actions was convening an expert COVID-19 task force focused on maintaining healthy and safe workplaces while the city continued to operate on behalf of its residents during the pandemic. This pandemic is not over and we are focused on increasing vaccination rates. Our goal in partnership with our healthcare institutions is ensuring that 60% of our residents are fully vaccinated by the end of this year. Now, today, Today, we're at 48%, three percentage points up since January 3rd when we took office. That's not good enough. Got to keep working, keep knocking on doors and talking to residents about the importance of getting vaccinated. And I have one task for you this evening. Please share this message. Even with cases decreasing, we must encourage our communities to get vaccinated and boosted as the best line of defense against this constantly evolving virus. <laughs> to the frontline workers and first responders who kept our city running and our residents safe over the past two years, we owe you a tremendous amount of gratitude. On March 15th, in collaboration with Cuyahoga County, we recognize the importance of acknowledging the hardships of this pandemic with the city's first day of remembrance and resilience. We're faith leaders united to remember those who we've lost and to celebrate those who overcame illness. Two of Cleveland's frontline heroes, Detective Jasmine Brown and EMT paramedic Sarah Cohen, spoke at the event. Both of them contracted COVID-19 while working throughout the pandemic to protect our public. And we are honored to have Detective Brown with us here this evening. Thank you, Detective Brown, for your service and commitment to our city. 
And thank you to every first responder in the city of Cleveland for everything you do for us. I'm inspired by your courage, your compassion, and your resilience. And we are grateful to have you serving and protecting our residents. Let's give our first responders a round of applause. Detective Brown. COVID-19 laid bare the inequities and health disparities in our communities in a bright, revealing light. It's up to us to respond and to get to work on the public health challenges that have threatened us for far too long in this city. A prime example is our lead crisis, and it's past time we did something about it. Lead paint was outlawed in 1978, and nearly 90% of the homes in the city of Cleveland were built before then. In order to combat lead poisoning, the city of Cleveland requires all pre-1978 residential rental units to be lead safe certified. Under the strong leadership of Sally Martin, our new director of building and housing, we will focus on implementation to accelerate the pace of change, make priorities and ensure that no child, no child in our city is ever poisoned with lead again. Lead safe certification is not optional. It is mandatory, and we are currently looking at ways to beef up enforcement capabilities and increase compliance. The city has partnered with the Cleveland Clinic to provide $67 million to the Lead Safe Co Coalition, a public-private partnership of more than 140 organizations, state and local governments, and families impacted by lead. Recently, following the recommendations of community activists and grassroots organizations, we hired a cabinet-level lead-safe strategist to focus on prevention, screening, testing, early intervention, education, and community engagement. This critical role in my administration will help break down silos to ensure we can lead the way to eradicate lead in the city of Cleveland once and for all. when our children are exposed even to the smallest amounts of lead, it can lead to serious, irreversible, lifelong problems. This is one of the most urgent issues facing our city, and I won't stop, and we can't stop until every home is safe and every child is protected because the future of our city depends on it. When our housing is safe, the state of our city is stronger. Fellow Clevelanders, safety is a human right and a basic necessity. You deserve to feel safe in your homes, at your jobs, where you worship, shop, and gather as a community. And no one, I repeat, no one should ever have to live in fear in our city. We take this extremely seriously, and we are working every day in partnership with public safety, EMS, our police and fire departments for Safer Cleveland. We continue to expand on a smarter, more proactive approach to tackling crime and violence.
The Division of Police is running frequent violent crime reduction task force operations, focusing on crimes of violence, gang activity, drug enforcement, and fugitive apprehension. We know the specific areas of the city where a vast majority of the gun violence and homicides are happening. And we are laser focused on these areas, both, both in terms of targeted violence reduction, as well as getting resources and opportunities in these neighborhoods. <laughs> Cleveland investigators work around the clock in tandem with partnering law enforcement agencies at the local, state, and federal levels, and have had success in terms of arrests, weapons confiscations, and drug seizures. We've established a new partnership with the Ohio Patrol to have coordinated traffic sweeps and we will leverage the American Rescue Plan to finally fully fund community violence prevention initiatives all across this city. And let me be clear, public safety is and always be, will be my number one priority as your mayor. <laughs> Job one is increasing staffing levels within our public safety forces which were significantly impacted by COVID-19. We are budgeting for 180 cadets from three classes to graduate in the Cleveland Division of Police, 80 cadets from two classes for the Cleveland Division of Fire, and 35 cadets from one class for EMS, boosting our safety forces in 2022. On March 7th, we celebrated the graduation of the 148th and 149th classes of the Cleveland Police Academy at our first in-person graduation in more than two years. Being there with the graduates and seeing the excitement and pride of their loved ones gave me so much hope for the future. We know that safety in our city depends on our first responders and they depend on us for resources, support, and tools to better serve our community. Two weeks into my term, we expanded the use of the Cleveland Cuyahoga County Diversion Center for nonviolent offenders by removing prosecutor pre-approval and giving our police and first responders the trust and flexibility to better work with those exhibiting signs and symptoms of mental illness or substance abuse. Jail does not always have to be the option. And thank you, County Executive Buda, for your partnership. Peeling back a bit of red tape on this is good for officers is good for our residents because we are creating an alternative option that centers the work around mental health support services versus going to jail. A few weeks ago, I, along with mayors from across the county, the Ohio Mayor's Alliance and the Ohio Fraternal Order of Police, let Governor DeWine know that we strongly, strongly oppose Senate Bill 215. Legislation that allows people in the state to carry a concealed handgun without a permit and eliminates the penalty for drivers who don't proactively disclose a firearm in their vehicle. Despite our intense advocacy efforts, the bill was signed into law on March 2nd. This decision moves the needle on gun violence in the complete wrong, complete wrong direction. Less restrictive state gun laws undermine 
our ability as a city to keep our streets and neighborhoods safe. And we need lawmakers, specifically Republican lawmakers in Columbus, to stop passing dangerous gun laws that make our officers and residents less safe and start parting with mayors to keep our streets and neighborhoods safe all across our city. Cleveland, I know we continue to experience alarming and increasing gun violence in our city. And I learned a great deal about what our communities and police are dealing with on a recent ride along with police in the 4th District just a couple weeks ago. This must change. Safe neighborhoods are imperative. And I commit to working with council, safety forces, and residents to finding solutions. As promised and as required by law, we're also hard at work on issue 24, now known as Charter Section 115. In my first 100 days in office, we reached an agreement with the U.S. Department of Justice on a joint amendment to permit the implementation of the new law. The amendment, once approved in the U.S. District Court overnight, permits the creation of a new community police commission, restructuring of decision-making authority, and an ongoing independent civilian oversight and review of police misconduct. This important step builds upon the incremental progress we've made under the consent decree, and we are currently accepting applications right now for the resident-led commission, so get your applications in. The changes implement the voice and the will of the people. It keeps the promise of police accountability and brings us one step closer to delivering the reform that you voted for last November. We are building a national model of police oversight and reform with a new generation of officers like the newly minted 148th and 149th class who are entering the force with an understanding of best practices in modern policing. Outstanding public safety forces make the state of our city stronger and we must deliver on the promise of a safer Cleveland. It's also our job to be out in the neighborhoods, meeting you and hearing about your experiences and your challenges. And uh, just last evening, I, with members of my cabinet, along with Senator Sherrod Brown, were knocking on doors in Mount Pleasant, talking to residents about the importance of the earned income tax credit and the child tax credits, making sure they knew about free tax prep resources to ensure that none of their hard-earned money goes to a paid taxpayer, meeting government with the people where they are. And I know from my mom's sacrifice and experience that these tax credits make a world of difference when you're trying to make ends meet and keep food on the table. And we will continue to do this kind of grassroots work as mayor of this city. Across all departments, we are focused on better serving our residents from snow removal and filling potholes to grass cutting, street sweeping, exterior painting, and cracking down on illegal dumping. These services are the basics and they matter and we can and must do better as a city. 
our Cleveland residents deserve the same level of service as their suburban neighbors. That's right. That's right. And my team, we are working on systems and processes to do just that. I've heard time and time again how difficult it is for folks to contact and get a response from City Hall. People are confused about which phone number to call. And when they do call, they don't have the confidence that someone will call them back and address their concern. And I heard this loud and clear in real time during the MLK Day snowstorm, <laughs> where we received over 3,000 calls for information and service. This must change. It's got to change. Communicating with offices and departments that exist to serve you, the residents, should be easy, seamless, and not complicated. A comprehensive audit of our city's 311 service conducted as part of our first 100-day plan revealed disconnects and shortcomings in a system, and we are currently triaging a wide variety of ways to address those concerns long-term. We are working collaboratively across our departments on short and long-term solutions to improve and expand 311. And our goal, our goal should be to have the best 311 service in the country. That's right. We know the onus should not be on you as a resident. It should be on us at City Hall to follow up and take care of your request in a very important, quick, timely fashion. We can and must do better. Part of the solution falls under our commitment to modernizing City Hall. We are in the process of bringing our technology into 2022 with things like the new snowplow tracker and other systems that give residents real-time information and faster responses. We are moving toward an environment where we use far less paper and fewer residents will have to physically travel to 601 Lakeside Avenue to cut business with the city. It's our job now more than ever as we recover from this pandemic to bring City Hall to you. Frankly, pre-COVID, we were behind the eight ball and we've lost traditional ground since then. To help us with these challenges, we recently welcomed Roy Fernando as our new Chief of Innovation and Technology. He has hit the ground running with extensive IT systems and change management experience to help us deliver a more modern and responsive City Hall for all of our residents. We know we have work to do, but in so many ways, Cleveland is a land on the rise. We are currently involved in projects that are enhancing downtown, investing in neighborhoods, and focusing on assets that help us attract and retain both businesses and talent, including parks, arts, and culture, sports, recreation, travel, and transit. We've introduced legislation to finally remove the ugly and practical Jersey barriers from our public square and replace them with modern, movable bollards. Public Square is our city's front door, belongs to the people, and should function as a welcoming and accessible meeting place that we can all be proud of. There are also big plans on the horizon for our greatest and most unrealized assets, Cleveland's waterfronts. For the first time ever, the city of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, and the Greater Cleveland Partnership 
have jointly endorsed a list of 10 priorities in Cuyahoga County for the 2023-2024 state capital budget. Thank you. Priorities include access for underserved communities in the Blue Park and North Collinwood, improving the physical connection of downtown Cleveland to the lakefront, and the revitalization of Irish Town Bend, transforming an unusable brownfield into a modern 24-acre riverfront park. Neighborhood priorities include funding for career and workforce development centers in the Collinwood and Bel Air Puritist neighborhoods, the development of new trails connecting underserved Slavic Village neighborhoods to the Metro Parks, updates to Canal Basin Park, and enhancements to the park at Centennial Peace Plaza. These are not small projects. Each has the potential to be transformational, and this collaboration marks the first time that we have ever formally advocated for state capital funding through an organized and aligned partnership. The state of our city is made stronger through partnership and thoughtful and intentional collaboration. Now, of course, we have to pay for these initiatives and the talent that helps make them happen. On March 27th, Cleveland City Council approved our $1.8 billion budget supporting a commitment to improving service delivery for the residents across the city and laying the groundwork for a long-term vision. While our city's finances are stable, this is very much a transitional budget. We came into office with just four weeks, four weeks to make quick adjustments to a budget not of our own design balance with a $62 million carryover from ARPA funds received in 2021. Now, a few things are happening here. First, projected revenue has not cut pace with growing expenses. And the second, the second, we are grappling with the ongoing impact of both COVID-19 on revenue and the staffing level implications that remote work might have on our balance sheet. Anyone who has spent time with me recently has heard me say the phrase, we have to do more with less. And while that statement is absolutely true, I also believe, I also believe that we will innovate and collaborate to meet this challenge and that we will succeed in finding the resources that we need to forge ahead. As we move beyond our first 100 days in office, our administration is focused on targeted investments in the city's southeast side to spur the development of new commercial corridors and reinvigorated storefronts to attract new anchor institutions to possibly impact the surrounding neighborhood. Because we can no longer take a one-size-fits-all approach to economic development in Cleveland. Instead, we must forge ahead and use the right incentives and tools that meet the unique needs and challenges of our neighborhoods, including a renewed focus on attracting good paying jobs that pay a family a sustaining wage so they can achieve the American dream. We are hard at work on an objective and community-centered process to determine the best and most effective use of once in a generation, maybe once in a century, federal aid from the American Rescue Plan to make real change 
on Cleveland's most vexing and intractable challenges. Our proposal to make sure this happens is a center for economic recovery that will collect proposals for ARPA-funded projects and make objective recommendations for consideration. This center does not change the legislative process that's in place, but it does give us a much needed tool to ensure that not a single dollar of this money is wasted and that we spend it in a thoughtful, prudent, and responsible way. We can't afford to waste this money. When evaluating proposals, the policy team will look to ensure that other funding sources have been thoroughly considered, that the proposal has the potential for big picture strategic impact, and that there is equity for and parity in the recommendations. The remainder of our ARPA dollars, over $511 million in federal aid, is expected to arrive in June. And it is my absolute pledge to maximize these dollars and be transparent with the residents about the process because you deserve transparency. We're also working to protect renters in the city of Cleveland. As we prepare to introduce source of income protection, pay to stay, and other pieces of critical housing legislation. These are substantive changes that make code enforcement more effective and responsible. Our priority here is to protect tenants and address the impacts of out-of-state, out-of-country investors who prey on our most vulnerable residents and neighborhoods. And this will not be tolerated in the city of Cleveland. The city's climate action plan is being updated for release next year. It includes more progressive greenhouse gas reduction goals and an increased emphasis on climate justice and neighborhood revitalization. Two weeks ago, I participated in a virtual event with Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, and U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, where we talked about the importance of investments to help fight climate change and to advance clean energy and environmental justice all across our city. Cleveland is emerging as a national leader on climate action and climate justice. We are focused on these efforts at the highest levels of my administration with the commitment to climate justice work embedded in every cabinet level job description. We're also working towards being the first city in North America to implement a 15 minute city planning framework where people People, not developers, but people are at the center of urban revitalization. Because regardless of where you live, you have access to a good grocery store, vibrant parks, and a job you can get to. In this model, essential services are all available within a 15-minute walk, bike ride, or transit trip. We aim to use this 15-minute model as a basis for policy innovation and to drive investments through a process that is grounded in direct feedback from residents and localized to the unique needs of all of our neighborhoods. This is just a sample of the work ahead. All of it with an eye toward being the Cleveland that we can be. For the first time in two decades, we are in a true period 
of transition and change. In a world of uncertainty, Cleveland can be a model for the nation on city management, police reform, and neighborhood revitalization. Let's not be afraid to set our expectations higher. No more waiting on DC or Columbus for change or reacting to the hand we were dealt. We, we must be the change, but more importantly, we must give ourselves both the permission and the courage to dream once again as a city. It, it's that vision of what Cleveland can become that propelled our administration into office. Clevelanders, we are back in the national conversation as a city on the rise. We are advocating for Cleveland on an international and national global level. We are building strength and capacity around a shared vision with unprecedented and purposeful collaboration across the civic, nonprofit, and private sectors. We are working closely with the county, the Mayors and City Managers Association, the Ohio Mayors Alliance, and the U.S. Conference of Mayors, where I'm proud to serve as Vice Chair of the Climate and Resilience Environment Standing Committee. These partnerships are critical to ensure that Cleveland, for once in a long time, has a seat at the table and a voice where decisions are being made. But more importantly, but more importantly, the strength and heart of our city is all of you. Each and every one of you in this room, the people of Cleveland, we are in this together in a spirit of shared sacrifice and shared responsibility for us to achieve our potential for the Cleveland we can be. If we wanna go far, we absolutely must go together. So thank you for rolling up your sleeves, for doing more with less, for being there for your neighbors and making this city a community your community, your community. And for all this to work, we need each other. And while the pandemic brought us so many challenges and hardships, it also highlighted one important thing. We are at our best as a city and as a people, the best that we can be when we band together as one. Since I took the oath of office on January 3rd and made a pledge to live up to the values I talked about and the promises I made on the campaign, there is not a day that I'm not reminded about what's at stake. Being mayor of the city of Cleveland means making consequential decisions that impact the next generation. Every day I think about emerging leaders like my young friend Carlton, Carlton is a fifth grader at Northeast Ohio College Prep who fell in love with politics. He did research on the mayor's race and he learned how local government affects people's lives in a very direct way. Carlton gets what's at stake and why it matters so much. 
I want to thank Carlton and his mom and his teacher for being here this evening. This moment now is, it's not about us. It's about Carlton. He is counting on all of us to deliver on the promise of what Cleveland can be. And I want him to be able to not only have the desire, but also the courage to dream about a brighter future. That's what's at stake. We are all in this together. The state of our city gets stronger every day. And it is my honor, my privilege, and my great blessing to serve as your mayor. God bless you all. God bless our great nation and God bless the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We're about to begin the Q&A with the audience. As you may know, we invited members of the community to submit questions ahead of time, just like we did with the mayoral debates last summer. We selected tonight's questions with the intention of capturing a cross-section of our city in the interests of our residents and stakeholders. And just as last summer, the mayor has not seen these questions in advance. <laughs> may we have our first question. Hello. How are you doing? What's your name? Kylia. Hi, Kylia. Are you able to hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay. My name is Kylia Mayer. I am a junior currently studying at Baldwin-Wallace University. Um, I have a specific interest in black psychology, anti-fat prejudice, and misogynoir. In addition to being a student, I also intern with Enlightened Solutions, which is a Cleveland-based nonprofit organization dedicated to publishing research and creating solutions based on the lived experiences of marginalized people in Cleveland. So in 2020, Cleveland was actually rated the worst place to live for, for black women. In terms of healthcare, education, and workplaces, Cleveland is currently the worst place to live uh, for black women in the city. Sorry. Okay. Now it is currently 2022, and these metrics still have not changed. So my question for you is, how will the Bib administration lead in accountability metrics for nonprofit organizations and corporations to professionally and financially invest in black women within Cleveland? Thank you for your question. Well, as a proud product of two very strong uh, black women, I know this issue uh, is very important to me uh, as mayor of the city. Um, and we are going to be announcing some major initiatives over the next couple of weeks as it relates to how we're going to better support black women in our city. Uh, we are looking at working with uh, Councilwoman uh, Stephanie House, Councilwoman Deborah Gray, and my administration to launch a black women's commission uh, at City Hall so we can examine the structural barriers that impact black women, both inside government but also externally in the city. And I also want to acknowledge uh, the Project No report because it's so critical that every leader in the city reads that report to figure out how we better support black women. And I want to say this, a city that works for women, particularly black women, 
as a city that can work for everybody. That has to be our North Star. Hello. Hey. My name is Kent Taylor. I'm the Special Projects Assistant at Rainey Institute. We're a nonprofit organization that promotes positive growth for greater Cleveland's youth through education and engagement in the visual and performing arts. We're located in Cleveland's Huff, historic Huff neighborhood. My question is this. The city of Cleveland is home to a variety of arts and culture programs and initiatives, but there is no formal city-backed infrastructure dedicated to the arts and culture. Do you support the establishment of such an infrastructure dedicated to supporting Cleveland arts and culture? And if so, how do you envision the arts and culture community coming together and thriving through the city's institutional backing? Well, I truly believe uh, that your sentiments are spot on. Um, arts are a key ingredient to uh, any vibrant city. And it will be a key ingredient to our economic recovery coming out of this pandemic. Uh, we are currently uh, exploring uh, existing assets right now inside City Hall. So we get more coordinated before spending more money on new programs and initiatives. We also want to better explore how we can work with the county to leverage their infrastructure as well, too. And then over the course of my term, we've made a commitment to explore having an arts level official uh, at the cabinet level in my administration. But again, as I talked about in my speech, we have some major fiscal headwinds ahead. And it's important that we not reinvent the will, uh, find what's working, what's not working, and enhance existing capacity where it already exists across the city and the county. Thank you. You're welcome. Hello, my name is uh, Josiah Quarles. I'm a housing justice community organizer with uh, Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless. Uh, my question is, um, and you somewhat spoke to this, uh, there was a recent uh, vacant and abandoned properties action committee report uh, outlining the devastating effects of the influx of out-state, out-of-state investors um, and what effect that has had on the housing market while the uh, housing prices have been depreciated. The rents have remained uh, at, a, at, a, at a steady uh, mark, continually extracting wealth uh, from predominantly the east side of Cleveland. Um, what steps will your administration take to wrestle these properties away from bad actors and empower communities and grassroots organizations to return equitable and sustainable models of safe and affordable housing to those most in need. Thank you, Mr. Quarles. As you know, Mr. Quarles, we have not truly seen a recovery from the housing crisis in 08 in Cleveland, particularly in our east side. I was walking on Kinsman yesterday with Senator Sherrod Brown uh, talking to residents about the earned income tax credit. We approached one resident, and as we were walking up her stairs, there was a hole in her stairs. She said she tried calling her landlord, but she couldn't reach them because they were not from Cleveland. They were from out of state. And there's this labyrinth of challenges and barriers that 
many of our residents have to go through to have basic access to good housing in this city. And I believe that the pay-to-stay legislation, source of income protection, but also making sure that we require all new homeowners who own an asset in Cleveland to have a local agent would go a long way to hold people accountable to not prey on these neighborhoods and residents. So we, we are working very closely with city council to make sure we can eradicate these structural barriers from a legislative process. I'm really confident in my new director of building and housing, Sally Martin, who's a, a national thought leader on this topic. And my administration, I would welcome ideas from grassroots activists to make sure we are looking at every option we can to protect our most vulnerable residents across our city. Thanks. Good evening. It's been a long two years. Hello, my name is Matthew Purnell, and I live in a Clark Fulton neighborhood with my wife, Kathleen Valdez. Our question is, CMSD and local nonprofits have taken heavy responsibility of providing the city of Cleveland access to free and reliable broadband internet. Despite this, there is still work to be done and services should be provided by the city. What are what plans are there to provide Clevelanders access to free, affordable, and reliable internet services? Thank you. Thank you. Um, what we learned during this pandemic is access to good quality internet is not a, um, it shouldn't be a, a, a luxury item anymore. It's a basic matter of economic and, and, and civil rights. Uh, it's important that we prioritize this across the city. I want to applaud uh, city council for the work they did last year to allocate over $20 million from the first tranche of the American Rescue Plan dollars to support uh, addressing broadband access and equity in the city. Uh, our administration right now is finalizing an RFP to go out to bid so that people can compete on what our solution should be uh, in the city of Cleveland. But beyond just getting access to internet, we need to have a broader conversation in Cleveland about digital literacy, right? You can get connected all day, but if you don't know what you're connecting to, then it's all for nothing, right? And so we need a holistic perspective. But at the same time, I would say this. We need to have smarter infrastructure. Everything from traffic signaling with our street lights uh, to ensuring that we are using renewable energy resources and all the assets we own as a city and really modernizing our grid from an energy perspective. These are all things that, to me, come under the umbrella of being a smarter, more resilient city but we're working as quickly as we can to get that RP out and make sure we have a solution to eradicate the digital divide in Cleveland once and for all. Hello, my name is Felix Ocasio. I'm a student at Gary Morgan School of Leadership and Innovation. What great, what great. That's great. That's great. My question is, how will you incorporate more teen, youth and teen voices when creating policy and programs geared towards us. Thank you. I like this question. I, I was you when I was in 10th grade, so this is, this is good. Um, we're, we're doing a couple things. Number one, um, I try to go to a, a CMSD school at least uh, once a month uh, as mayor. And I want to be a present figure in our public schools to show our students what's possible. I think that's critical. Uh, secondly, um, thank you. Secondly, uh, we've hired uh, a chief of youth and family success 
whose responsibility is to figure out how do we have more youth voice around the table as it relates to policymaking. So for example, you should tell me as mayor what kind of programs you want to see in your rec center, right? Whether it be gaming or debate club or computer science club, we have to build the city for you, right? Um, and so we intend to have what I'm calling a children's cabinet with leaders from the county, the nonprofit sector, and other key stakeholders, but also student members of that cabinet to advise administra our administration to figure out what policies are going to matter for young people because you're going to inherit this city long before I'm done being mayor. Thank you. Hello, Mayor Bibb. How you doing? Good, how are I you? I haven't seen you in a while. I know, I haven't been seeing you around. I know. I miss seeing you. I've been a little busy. <laughs> yes, I can understand that. As you know, my name is Jess Wallace, and I work in downtown Cleveland. My question is, could you see Cleveland putting together a committee that would explore innovative ways to ensure that new projects and historic historic buildings are accessible to all individuals. Mm. Thank you. Uh, your, your question is so important. Um, for a long time, uh, Jessica and Cleveland, you know, we've tended to build projects, but not thinking about every stakeholder that could be involved. One thing we're doing right now to address this, and I want to applaud Councilman Kerry McCormick for his leadership on this is we want to introduce uh, legislation called Complete and Green Streets to ensure to ensure that every resident, whether you're a walker, uh, ride a bike, drive a car, uh, or ride public transit, that our streets are made for everybody. You know, we have to stop prioritizing cars and start prioritizing people when it comes to development in this city. Um, I'm really excited about the work that um, my new chief of integrated development, uh, Jeff Epstein, and, uh, is doing around making sure that building and housing, planning, economic and community development are all talking from the same playbook. Because in the past, they would be fighting with each other. We can't afford that, right? And then uh, the work that Joyce is leading in planning, you know, Director Wong is doing everything she can to make sure that every major planning project in the city is centered in resident voice. Um, and it's important for us that we get that right, and it's going to be critical that we embed these systems in everything we do as a city moving forward. Hello, my name is Don Hill, and I'm a resident of West Park. There is concern among some of us who see the need for fundamental changes in two areas, two areas that you've talked about tonight at length, public safety and mm -hmm. public works. That concern that we feel stems in part because you appointed leadership from the previous administration in these two critical areas and in other important areas as well. What do you say to those who question those appointments as more of the same? Mm -hmm. What do you say to those who question your consistency on your promise to a change in the basic functioning and culture of City Hall? Thank you, Don, for that question. Um, I think the basic thing I would say is that my results will speak for themselves. Um, you know, in 100 days, we've done something remarkable in the city. Number one, a police reform. In just three months, we fully funded the police commission. 
Judge Oliver approved our recommendations around issue 24 for the consent decree in nearly 24 hours. And uh, with the support of Chief Drummond, we are working very hard to make sure we advance the progress around the consent decree. But I'll tell you this, I'm a smart enough leader and I'm mature enough to know where I see good talent that wasn't leveraged in the past and I'm not gonna throw out the, the baby with the bathwater when I don't have to. But I will say, top of the house, we've attracted and hired talented people from the private, public, and nonprofit sector. Uh, we're gonna have new leadership in public works over the next couple of months, committed to delivering on the commitments we made uh, last year as mayor. Thank you. Somebody cut me off. Eva Jones, I'm a downtown resident. Um, you touched on this a bit earlier yeah. well, throughout your speech. Um, I just wanted to know if there are any plans for actual sustainable and um, forever family housing. Um, right now, there's a lot of, you know, building, um, but it seems to be more for rental properties, high rises, such as what I live in downtown, but is there gonna be any focus on actual family housing? Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, is there going to be any focus on family housing? And then also, will there be real amenities in those neighborhoods as well? Yeah. Well, I, I touched on this in my remarks. Um, a couple things. Uh, the city just finished up a 10-year housing study, uh, which calls for uh, more diversity in our housing stock, particularly on the ownership side in many parts of our city. Secondly, uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks and months, we're going to be announcing a revised tax abatement policy to make sure that we prioritize investment in middle neighborhoods and opportunity neighborhoods like the southeast side so they can get their fair share as well. But then thirdly, how do we create a more age-friendly city where our seniors can live and retire with dignity versus aging out and getting pushed out due to rising property taxes and property Valuations, and so we are we we are exploring how to better work with the state legislature around uh, long-term homeowner property tax relief, so that those seniors can stay in place and age in place and retire with dignity in their homes. But we need a more comprehensive uh, housing policy that is not one size fits all, because that's what we've had over the last two decades. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Mayor. It's good to see you. How you doing? Good. As you know, my name is Brendan Heil. I'm a lifelong Clevelander and a resident of West Park. Uh, this question is actually on behalf of my family and a number of residents of the near west side. There seems to be a need for the streets department and the water department to fully coordinate mm. water pipe replacement with street work. Two areas of Lake Avenue between Detroit and Clifton and West 65th and Franklin Boulevard are two recent examples of the disconnect between these two departments. Uh, in each of these instances, the water department ripped up new roads within a month of streets being redone. Ten years ago, the mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma, put the water department and streets department under the same head to coordinate water pipe replacement with street work. How can your administration better coordinate between these departments? I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I know my, my COO is in the room, Bonnie Tewin. 
uh, and uh, our new director of public utilities, Marty Keene, uh, we love to take a look at that and look at other models because it doesn't make sense for one department to dig up the street and somebody else comes back the following month. So thanks for that recommendation. I appreciate it. Hello, Mr. Mayor. My Hi. name is Mike Seals, and I'm you a doing, resident sir? right here in Cleveland Ward 7, the Good. Huff neighborhood. Good to see you. According to the um, 2020 U.S. Census, Cleveland is now the poorest city, large city in America. What can we do to get us out of this position so that we won't be in the position for 10 years like Detroit was? Mm. Mm. Thank you, Mike, for that. I appreciate it. Um, poverty is a multifaceted structural issue. Uh, there is not one policy solution to solve decades of a lack of investment, decades of families being poisoned by, by lead, decades of not good public education in most of our neighborhoods. And so we must have a comprehensive approach to uh, solving this issue in the city. I would say as residents, number one, are you mentoring somebody in your neighborhood, a young person? Uh, are you volunteering and getting involved in your community? Uh, but it's important that we all find a way to, to give back and make a difference. Uh, but we want to make sure that we created a climate in Cleveland where we have good paying jobs, good quality schools, and we attract new people to grow the tax base so we can invest long term. We have to have a growth mindset, and we haven't had a growth mindset in the city for a long time. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, thanks all of you for being with us. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive of the City Club. A special thank you to those of you who provided questions. You are the heart of the City Club. And thanks to all of you who joined us here and online. Your engagement is how we fulfill our mission. This has indeed been a conversation of consequence that is helping democracy thrive right now. And on behalf of the City Club, I want to thank our partners tonight, especially Pat Pastore at PNC Bank, Eric Kaler at Case Western Reserve University, and Kevin Martin at IdeaStream Public Media, which is now at 89.7 FM. There are many other sponsors and community partners listed in the printed program whose support made this event free, accessible to all, and included neighbors from every part of the city. And of course, our partners at City Hall as well. We are grateful to all of you. Finally, there are a number of wonderful programs coming up at your City Club. Please check it out at cityclub.org. And to close, whatever you're celebrating this week, we wish you well. Pesach Sameach. Ramadan Mubarak, have a wonderful Easter. Go Cavs, go Guardians. <laughs> I'm Dan Malthrop. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.